Church, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 21, and today we are going to read through the rest of the chapter. So we covered verses 1 through 14 last Sunday. This Sunday we're going to cover verses 15 through 22. We are almost done with this book. Uh, I think if I'm correct, sometime in early July we will be done with this. And then just to let you know, once we finish 2 Samuel, we are moving on to Colossians. So we will be in Colossians uh, that will uh, basically take us through the end of the year. So I'm excited about getting into uh, Colossians and preaching to, to you all. Uh, so today, our, the title of the sermon is Our Greatest Hope. And again, the passages are 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. I'll read that. It says, There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and was, who was armed with the new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai the Hushethite, Hushethite struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was war again with the Philistines at Gob, and Elhanan, or Elhanan, the son of Jerry Orgum, the Beth Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was war again at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, he had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was descendant from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so I want to start off today's sermon with a couple of questions for you. These are things that I like to question you up front on so that you can think about them as, as we're going through the text. Uh, but the questions, a couple questions, uh, actually three of them, what are your hopes? Uh, and then to go along with that question, what, what are they dependent on? Okay, We all have hopes, and, and, and if I would use the same word, I mean it in the same context, hopes and dreams. Uh, but we all have hopes, and what are they dependent on? Um, even even though, you know, when you're younger, there are, there are greater hopes that you have. There are things that you want to achieve as you grow older. You still have hopes. You know, you have hope. You have hopes that you want to achieve on this earth. What are they and what are they dependent on? Um, how do you deal with change? As you grow older, are you growing in hope or are you growing in hopelessness? Uh, I, I think the answer to those questions is extremely important. To how what kind of outlook that we have in life. Um, the answer to these questions can actually determine where your hope lies. Um, if your hope lies in yourself or if it lies in someone else. Well, the Bible teaches that we should, our hope should not lie within ourselves, but rather in God. Uh, the very first song that we sang, as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's awesome. That goes right with uh, one of the verses I was going to share. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we... We who are the people of God, I added that, it didn't say here, but I'm just, I'm just explaining it for you. But we trust in the name of the Lord 
our God. That's who we are to trust in. Uh, not that we can't uh, trust in ourselves in any way possible, uh, but our ultimate hope and trust should not be in ourselves and our own ability. It should be in the Lord. And the reason why I say we, sh- you know, we should trust ourselves in some manner or form, uh, our, because it's you know we we know ourselves to a point. We know what we can do, we, what we can't do. Some of us are a little bit hard headed about that, but ultimately our trust belongs in the Lord. Uh, when we trust in the Lord, above all, I believe our life's perspective is in the right order. But you know what? That's easier said than done. It's easy to say, well, I trust the Lord, but then it's harder to actually trust him when you're going through something, when you don't have the answer to something, when something is beyond you. It's, it's harder. But that's the only way we learn to trust the Lord. Uh, it's like one of those things, Lord, give me patience. Right? You, you don't want to pray that prayer, but you do. Uh, you know if you pray that prayer, you know the Lord's going to answer that, and he's going to test you beyond your limits so that you can grow in patience. Well, it's, it's the same thing here. Lord, help me to trust you more. Well, he's not going to do that by giving you a bunch of good things, right? He's not going to do that by putting you through some great stuff. Uh, it's easy to trust the Lord then. No, he's going to put you through some suffering. He's going to put you through some pain. He's going to put you, put you through some doubt, put you through all those things so that you learn to rely on his power and not your own. So, yes, it's, I'm not going to say it's bad to pray those things. We need to pray those things. But don't expect the opposite to happen. We need to expect that the Lord's going to, he's going to test us. He's going to try us. And we're going to grow through that because we are his. So when we trust in the Lord, like I said, our life perspective is in order. Uh, In the Bible, we are told to walk by faith, not by sight. Well, the reason why that's so hard is that faith is, as the Bible describes in Hebrews, uh, it says that faith is something we do not see. It's also something we don't feel. Well, what type of people are we? We, we want to be people of sight. We want to be people of, of, of you know, touch. I won't believe it until I see it. I won't believe it until I feel it. Because why? Well, we're, that's an earthly perspective. I won't believe it until it's real. And it's real to me when I see it and when I feel it. That's when it's real. Well, spiritual life doesn't go that way. God says that you must live by faith. Don't necessarily see faith with your spiritual eye, or I mean with your physical eyes, and you don't feel it with your physical hands. Everything is spiritual in nature, right? So it's it's faith is something that we hope for. So David's story here today, I believe, is gonna help us, help us understand what faith is and help us to understand where our hope lies. And if our hope does not lie in the Lord, ultimately then we have some things out of order and, and we need to reprioritize some things in a matter of faith for our life. Uh, the first thing I want to cover is David's war with the Philistines. I'll give you some subheadings here through the sermon and um, if you're taking notes and, and so that you can follow along. So the first thing I want to go over is David's war with the Philistines. Second thing I want to go over is David's physical limitations as it's displayed here in this passage. And then I want to go over David's enemies and then we'll conclude with David's greatest hope. So that's kind of the outline, if you will, of the sermon. Uh, first of all, David's war with the Philistines. Verse 15, which is the verse, first verse of our passage, says that there was war again with the Philistines and Israel. 
Now, it, it just, it goes right into, after 14 ends, it goes right into uh, this segue here. And so there's really no history given uh, before this, other, uh, no history when it comes to the Philistines. So it just takes you right into the story. You just have to understand that uh, Israel has been, have, they have been in, at war with the Philistines. Uh, this is a description of a, a long struggle, basically, between Israel and the Philistines. Uh, for those who have been here throughout the whole series, throughout First and Second Samuel, you you recognize the Philistines. They are David's greatest enemies. Uh, they have been around, and David has defeated them throughout this whole time. Well, it's battle after battle. When you look at these battles here in uh, verses 15 through 22, the battles were basically highlights uh, of individual battles. It wasn't like, uh, this wasn't to describe the whole war. This is to describe great victories within the war. Kind of reminds me of I don't know if ESPN still does this, but back in the day, for those of you who are around 40 through 60, uh, you will remember uh, back in the day, if, if you missed something, a sporting event, if you missed it, you'd go back and watch ESPN at a certain time because they would show the highlights of the games. And you sit there, and, and we didn't have these devices at our phones where we could just see it. I know we're, we're, I'm really old, right? So you didn't have these devices where you could see it right there and then. Or whenever you wanted to, you had to go back to watch ESPN and, and, and see the sports center. Well, this is kind of like, like that where it's, it's taken us back. Uh, it's taken us back to a point in time where there were these great battles and there were these great victories won by the heroes. The, excuse me. I wanted to say Hebrews and heroes, so it came out Hebrews. By the heroes of Israel. That's, that's, where, that's where this has taken us. Uh, these are Israel's mighty men who won against the, uh, uh, the Philistine champions. Now, as I said before, the Philistines were David's greatest outside enemy. We, we talked about his inside enemies, those enemies within his own nation. But as far as outside enemies go, they were his greatest enemies. Um, he did not destroy them. In fact, after David dies, you still see the Philistines around. But he subdued them in their lifetime. Uh, David killed more Philistines than, than, than anybody. And uh, they, they hated him more than anybody. Now, as far as chronologically, it's hard to know where these battles fell. Uh, chapter 21 and also a couple of these, several of these chapters, 22, um, they, they go back in time. It's not necessarily like, you know, right after this point and it continues on. They, these actually go back in time. So in essence, this is kind of like a, a memory, if you will. This is telling of a story that's already happened. Uh, and and, and it's, it's for the benefit of the reader to understand something about the Lord, something about, about God, something very important and, and something that we need to know. So as far as chronologically is concerned, we, we don't know exactly where these battles happen. I'll give you my best estimate, but that's not really the point here. Uh, the verses uh, precede the, uh, the song of David, which is Second uh, Samuel chapter 22. That, that whole chapter is just a, a wonderful psalm and praise uh, to God. Well, these verses precede that. And so these verses that we're reading today kind of set that up. It's, 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 a, it's going back, looking at what God has already done. And then after this chapter is over, David goes into just praising the Lord for all kind of wonderful stuff, all his, all his blessings. 
And so the point of the passage is for us to recap these great victories so that we can see how David goes right into worshiping the Lord. It's kind of like a, a, an old man. You ever sit with an old man, and, and, and if you, you haven't, I, I, I would suggest that because there's a lot of wisdom that you can gain there. But you sit down with someone who has a lot more years than you do, and uh, they've been a faithful brother or sister in the Lord, and they'll sit there and they'll, they'll talk to you about everything that they've been through. And you might sit there and you're shocked at everything they've been through. Like, I mean, all kinds of different things. But at the very end, I always love to sit down with uh, the Christians who have lived a long time because at the very end or throughout their story, guess what they'll do? They'll point you back to the Lord. They'll, they'll tell you how they realize that, that what they went through was beyond them, but it was the Lord who was faithful. And so, in essence, that's what we have in this passage. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful telling of a story of how God is faithful. Now, though these events had happened sometime in the distant past, they communicate the power and the faithfulness of God towards David. And that is something that, as Christians, we, we need every single day. As I was studying this passage, I was reminded of a time early in ministry where I would go see Sister Lily. Uh, Sister Lily was in the nursing home. This is uh, Sister Hopi and Sister Esther's mother. And when she was in the nursing home, I would go by and see her. And I always look forward to going and seeing Sister Lily because when I went to go see her, I, obviously I was going to minister to her. But Sister Lily liked to tell stories. And she had been at this church for a very, very long time. And so when I would go see her, I would always knew that I was going to get at least, you know, one or two or three stories. And all I had to do was say something that reminded her of something else, and then she began with the story. Uh, it was either her family, and I got to find out a lot of information about her family. Not that that was a secret, because Hopi and Esther are open books as well. But it, it was, there were wonderful stories, and they always pointed me back to the Lord. And during that time, when I would go see her, it was a hard time in ministry. It was a hard season. And, uh, and, and going and listening and seeing how, oh, well, it's hard for me, but oh, look, it was hard for her. And she's telling me everything that she went through. And she went through some very tough times, and yet the Lord was faithful to her. And it reminded me, oh, the Lord's not only faithful to her, he's faithful to all of his people, right? So it was, it was, a, it was a great restoration for me. It strengthened me for the season to come. And I pray that, that that's what this story does for us here. Uh, so that's information about... David's war with the Philistines, but let's talk about David's physical limitations because that, that comes off, um, that, that comes up at us through this passage right away. Now, we're used to David being the main hero of, of the story. Now, David here is depicted as too old and, and too weary for the battlefield. The passage tells us that David went out to fight alongside with his men. And uh, as soon as he went to do that, he was outmatched by the first enemy. And uh, we don't know if it's the first enemy was just stronger than him. There's a mentioning of a new sword. Uh, we don't know if he had a better weapon or if it was just all around. He was stronger, younger, new weapon, faster. Um, but regardless of that, the passage says that Abishai had to come and save him. We remember Abishai because Abishai is, he became one of David's generals. And uh, he was under his brother Joab. Uh, Baishai was his nephew. But it says in verse 17 that after Abishai had to come and save David, David's men swore to him. Or in other words, they made David swear to them. 
you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now, that verse is very interesting because, number one, they're making a deal with David not to go out anymore. And the reason why is because he's the king. And for them, if the king dies, they're thinking about themselves and also the people of Israel. If the king dies, then the lamp of Israel goes out. So that lamp of Israel is in reference to him being the king and his life being important. Um, they, basically, they're saying, you're too, you're too vital to the nation to die. We can't risk it. Not that David couldn't fight anymore, but we can't risk you um, being put to death because, you know, you're, you're just not who you used to be. Because imagine if there was a king, if King David's out there in the battlefield, well, guess who everyone's going to try to get, right? So if you're going to be a king and you're going to be fighting, you have to be able to handle your own in any situation. Well, uh, we're looking at all that. If this event occurred in 2 Samuel chapter 10, maybe chapter 11, it would make sense that David at that time put Joab in charge of his army from then on, because that's where we start to see there's less mentioning of David fighting and more mentioning of him just, just be, being a king. And we start to see Joab come into the picture of, of being the whole, the general of all his army, then Abishai and all those others, they come in after that. So if, if we're trying to place a, a date or time, uh, chapter 10, chapter 11 might be safe. Um, it, it would also explain why David was at home when his, his adultery with Bathsheba occurred, right? Because he wasn't there in the battlefield. He wasn't there fighting. He was instead, he was instead at, at home. So it, it would kind of make sense. The reason why I mentioned that, though, is that if, if that is the case, and, and that this is a guesstimate, right, on, on not only my part, but on, on reading other historians and theologians trying to, to date all this stuff. But if that is the case, David would have been in his 40s. He would have been in his 40s then. And, and, and for me, studying that passage, I'm, I'm smack dab 45. I'm right in the middle. And um, I, I sat there and I was like, wow. And, and it, made me come to, uh, it made me come to a wall with my own mortality, uh, with my own limitations as I'm studying this passage. David was no longer the young warrior he once was. And I tell you what, here lately, you know, every, every, every decade that you live, physically you're, you're humbled and you come to realize you're not the same person you were 10 years ago. As far as both, I mean, physically, uh, mentally, spiritually, hopefully, all those things, you come to realize them. But usually the good thing, it, I, I'm praise God I'm not the same person I was in wisdom 10 years ago. Uh, I praise God that I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago spiritually. Um, 10 years ago physically, I kind of want to go back to 10 years ago physically. That's a little different story, right? I, I, if I could take the, the younger physically with the wisdom and the spiritual growth, that, that, would be, that would be awesome. But it just doesn't work that way. So with David here being about in his 40s, uh, it, it's not saying that he can't fight anymore. But he's starting to decline. And I tell you what, I can, I, I can testify to that. Yeah, I'm not the way I was physically before, but now I'm starting to see limitations. And I'm starting to feel these things. 
Now, I know some of you who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, you're like, buckle up, buddy, you ain't seen nothing yet. But I'm just telling you right now, I'm starting to, to see those things. I'm starting to feel those things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a youth here, Mason, who celebrated his birthday, and part of his, 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 uh, his present was that he wanted to have a basketball tournament. And so he invited some of his friends from school, some of the, some of the youth from here, and, and then some of the adults who wanted to play could come and play. Well, I love basketball, so I was like, yeah. My son was playing in it, and I was like, sign me up. I'm going to play. And as soon as I told my wife I was going to play, she just rolled her eyes like, the last time I played was about two months ago, and I went to jump, and when I went to jump, something popped in my uh, calf. And all of a sudden, I had a flat tire and I couldn't go anymore. I had to sit down for like three for like two weeks without really stretching anything or using anything for it to go away. So I, I played in this basketball tournament, and we played probably about five or six games. And, and I told my wife initially, I, I'm, I'm just going to shoot jump shots, and I'm just going to just mess around. I'm not going to do anything, okay, honey? I, don't worry. I won't get hurt. But then something happens whenever you're in the game and you just start going for rebounds, you start boxing people out, you start pushing people out of the way, you may even hit some people by accident, right? So you start doing all these different things and by the end of that night, I felt my knee, my knee was, was my left knee was, was swollen and tight. And I thought, okay, well, if this is the worst of it, then, then I'm good. Well, no, this, this went on for about a week and a half almost two weeks it went on, where I was limping around and hurting. It was very humbling. And, and so I, I tell you that because it's like I, I can understand what David is going through here in a sense. The usual hero, David, he's the one who was always saving everybody. He's always, hey, don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. You go and take care of somebody else. He's the great warrior. Now here in this passage, he's the one needing someone to rescue him. See, David came to the humbling fact that we all come to one day. And that is, outwardly, we are wasting away. Outwardly, we are wasting away. We, we feel it. You, you may not feel it so much when you're a teenager or whenever you're in your 20s, but every decade that goes by, you, you begin to feel Outwardly, you are wasting away. Physically, you are wasting away. That is a biblical truth. David was aging, and things were changing. But, and, and this is the awesome, awesome blessing that we have in being the people of God. Although David was aging, and things were changing for him, guess who wasn't changing? God. God was not changing. God was not done with him. Would David be used differently? Yes. But the same God who empowered him to be this awesome warrior would empower him to be an awesome king. Who would empower him to be whatever it was that God determined him to be in this next level or this next phase of life. Instead of David being the main hero, God raised up four other men, Abishai, Sibachai, uh, Elhanan, and, and also Jonathan, Elhanan and Jonathan. So we start to see a pattern here. 
If, if you have read the Old Testament, you, you should see pattern, a pattern in the Old Testament that there was a bunch of champions in the Old Testament. Countless of them. They're great warriors, great thinkers, great prophets. And, and, and they start off great. They do this, these wonderful things, but then one by one, they just begin to age. They begin to feel their limitations. They, they're Outwardly, they are wasting away. They all fade away. But we see that God remains forever. If it, it is part of man's nature to grow weary. It is part of man's nature to age. And, and this happens no matter how, we, how well we try to avoid it. It happens. And, and there's these catchphrases that we all like to say, I use them myself. Well, 40 is a new 30, right? We always say that. Our 50 is a new 40. 60s a new 50. You know, we're like, hey, you know, and we're, we're trying to make ourselves feel better. Or we say, oh, well, you know what, 50 is only a number. Yeah, it's, it's, it's how many years you've lived on this earth. It is a number. So, so we, we try to avoid it. We, we eat right. We exercise. We do all these different things to try to stay active. And those things we should. This is the, the, the temple, right? This is the temple. We have to take care of it. We should eat right. We should exercise. We should get enough sleep. We should do those things. That's going to help you. But ultimately, outwardly, you are wasting away. You are still aging. Those limitations will eventually come. See, that is the nature of man. God is different from man. He is above us. In fact, he is beyond man. Because it is not in his nature to grow weary or to grow weak. One of my favorite passages is, is found in Isaiah 40, verse 28. It says, have you, haven't, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's God alone. He stands under his own power. He is existent from within himself. His whole existence is from within himself. He is eternal from within himself. There is no one like our God. The Bible proclaims of him from everlasting to everlasting, he are God. That's something we have to remember. You and I, we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. That's a fact. But the Bible says of God, he is the ancient of days. He is all-powerful all-knowing, and he is eternal. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come. Physical limitations are hard to accept. Growing older is hard to accept. 
there is blessings in it. Yeah, physically we're not who we used to be. But, but God has done his part and given us what we need for life and godliness, regardless of that. God is not done with us. God is still using us according to his will, by his power, for his glory. It's an awesome blessing to be a child of God, that he is never done with us. Our mortality, yes, it is exposed, but it shouldn't make us feel vulnerable. Though we are not whom we used to be, Here's the the wonderful blessing. God still is. God is still God. He has not changed. He has not grown weary. He has not grown weak. He's still strengthening you for your journey. And then we get into David's enemies. The one thing we know about David's enemies is that they were no scrubs. These enemies, if, if you had an enemy hall of fame, these enemies would be in that hall of fame. In fact, there is four of them that are depicted here in this passage, and they're all descendants of the giants, um, meaning they would all be in, in the same people of Goliath. In fact, one of the one of the brothers, one of the giants here that was killed by David's men was the brother of of, of Goliath, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but actually, I can tell you right now, first, if you go to First Chronicles, you don't have to go there now. But if you're writing this down, First Chronicles 25. Uh, it clears up verse 19 because verse 19 is very confusing from this passage as to who this person was. Uh, it almost repeats the name, or it does repeat the name Goliath again and from the same region. So it makes you think like, like what? wait a second, I thought David killed Goliath and it was a long, long, long time ago. But if you go to First Chronicles 20 verse 5, it tells you that this is the brother of Goliath and he's killed by one of David's men. Uh, but all four of these enemies we see we're not only uh, physically extremely gifted, but they were armed to the teeth. Uh, they used weapons that no one else could. Why? Well, because they were bigger than everybody else, faster than everybody else, stronger than everybody else. Uh, they had physical characteristics that no one could match up with. Uh, as soon as they walked onto the battlefield, they were an immediate mismatch with anybody. In fact, to probably take them down, it, it would take more than, than, than one or, or two guys to, to take these down in normal cases. Uh, the Bible even says, and doesn't give a name, but I don't know how this helped him, but there was one guy who had 12 fingers and 12 toes. I don't know if that gave him a tighter grip or made him run faster or whatever, but the Bible thinks it's extremely important to, noti- to, to notice. They struck fear the hearts of men I I mean just think about it you're in a battlefield with this giant who towers over you and then he he wiggles his fingers at you and he has six fingers on one hand I think twice about going to battle with that guy regardless of their strength they fell before the champions of Israel they fell before the champions of David Verse 22, these four were descended or descended from the giants of Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Now let's understand the bigger picture here. 
In reality, these great enemies of David didn't fall to him. He gets, he gets the credit, and we understand that David was actually taken off the battlefield, but yet he gets the credit because he's, he's the king. Um, we also must understand that these great enemies really didn't fall to his men, but they fell, they fell before the Lord of hosts. And remember that name, the Lord of hosts, God's name that was used over 200 times in the Old Testament. It referred to God as being Yahweh, the self-existent God. And the first time that we see that name is actually in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. That's where we first see it. But after that, it's mentioned 100 over, over 200 more times. And to me, when I see it in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's, it's a great spot for it. Because after it mentions God as the Lord of hosts, it, it, all of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, they, they show us how he is, the Lord of hosts. He is the commander of all the cosmic forces. He is the eternal king of glory. And everything in the creation is subjected to him because he, has, he is the one who has created all things. Yes, these enemies, they were big, they were intimidating. They were beyond the abilities of the mighty men of Israel. But they all fell before the Lord of hosts. Similarly, there are people or things in this life. They seem beyond us, but they are not beyond God. No one or thing compares to the Lord of hosts. All things physical and all things spiritual in nature are subjected to him. And I'm not just talking about, like I said, I'm not just talking about people. I'm, I'm talking about things as well. Things that happen to us that seem to overwhelm us, like disunion. That, that, that's, a, that's a difficult thing to go through. Confusion because of issues or problems. Those are difficult things to go through. Dealing with uh, heresy, dealing with governments, dealing with physical enemies, spiritual enemies. Dealing with sickness, dealing with suffering, dealing with death. All these things overwhelm us, but all these things fall at the feet of the Lord. They're all subjected to him. That's why scripture says that we are more than conquerors through him loved us. I love that passage because it just doesn't say, you're, yeah, you're more than a conqueror. You can do this. Just, just believe with all your heart and you can do anything you want. That's not what that passage says. It says you are more than a conqueror through him. Just like David. David was a mighty warrior, mighty king through the Lord. Because in reality, it was the Lord who was winning all of his battles. And it's the Lord who is winning all of your battles. So here's another question. Do you live your life as a conqueror through Christ? Or do you live your life as one who is always or who is often being conquered by your troubles?
Because one or the other communicates and exposes where your trust is, where your hope is. If your hope is in yourself, well, yeah, you're going to feel conquered because there are a lot of things that you can't do. But if your hope is in the Lord, you realize that nothing conquers the Lord. So then, therefore, though things are difficult, you still maintain your trust. You still maintain your faith in him. If you are someone who is often conquered by your troubles, or if you are someone who is often conquered by your troubles, then here are, here are a couple of things you have to consider. You don't believe in the power of God or or I should say, essentially, you don't believe in the truth of his word. Because the Bible says that God is the greatest. And if we're losing hope because of our limitations, if we're losing hope because of our troubles, then we're seeing something greater than the Lord. And that, that shouldn't be the case. If that is the case for us, and believe me, we've all been there. We're in and out of that type of mentality. We, in fact, we have to remind ourselves, yeah, this, this trouble is not greater than my God. Yeah, this person is not greater than my God. Yeah, this situation is not greater than my God. We have to remember, we have to remind ourselves, no one is greater than our God. So if that is us, we, we have to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I, I believe, but please help me in my unbelief. Remind me, help me. Bring it to my memory. You are the Lord of hosts. And that is David's greatest hope. And I'll finish off the sermon with this. David lived his life like a man after God's own heart. But we know he was not without his sin. He loved God but struggled with indwelling sin. Well, Christians are the same way. We love God but we struggle against the flesh. And the problem is we're, we're, we're stuck in this flesh every single day. So our struggle is daily. David had some great triumphs in his life, but there were other times that David was a coward. I'll give you two examples. One, when, they, when Goliath challenged Israel, remember that scene? Everybody was scared. And Goliath, he laughed at Israel and he mocked Israel. And David took that as Goliath offending God and didn't even put armor on, didn't even grab a sword, grabbed stones, says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this giant for the Lord. And, we, and in scripture, we saw it happen. We're like, wow, David's this great warrior, this great man who's full of faith. And man, he, you know, he's the man we need to be, right? When we see that in scripture. Nope, he's not the man we need to be. Because when Saul came after him, what did David do? He ran away. And he caused a path of destruction. Why? Because he was fearful. So in one instance, we have David being faithful. And then the next instance, we have him being fearful. Is that not us? Some days, we got it. It seems like we have it all together. Trust the Lord. We follow the Lord. It's like everything's, even though everything's falling apart around us, it's like we're, we're still 
We're still good. We're good. We're like, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm holding on. I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm hanging on to Christ, and, and nothing's going to knock me from my faith. And there's those days where, man, we're the complete opposite of that. We grow weary. We grow impatient. And our limitations grow daily. And you say, well, well we have each other. And that, that's, that's great. We do have each other. We are the body of Christ, and we're to minister to one another. But there is a problem with that. The person that you trust in is just like you. Your, your, your best friend, your closest brother, your closest sister, just like you. Some days they're on it and some days they're not. And, and you probably, if you're that close, you probably know that already. And so it's like, well, if, 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 no one is perfect and no one gets it right all of the time. Who, do, who can I trust? Trust in the Lord. David's greatest hope was the Lord. And that's where we should follow him. That's our greatest hope should be. Psalm 34 was penned by David. Uh, it's a beautiful song and it's a also beautiful psalm here um, I, I want to take a, a couple of verses out of that just to see David's perspective of the Lord um, this is Psalm 34 verses 4 through 6 he says I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fear Right, that, that's his own proclamation there. David was, it doesn't mean that David trusted in himself or that, that, that he never not trusted in the Lord or anything like that. He's saying that in situations where he sought the Lord, the Lord was faithful to him regardless of him being faithful to the Lord. He answered him and he delivered him from all of his fears. And then this is what, this is the proclamation he makes in verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Then he goes back to himself, verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. When we read that, is that not the gospel promise? Is that not the gospel promise that when we cry out to Christ, number one, that he will hear us, number two, that he will save us. That's the gospel promise that we have. When you open his word and you read it, that's a promise that is given to you every single day. When you cry out, he hears you and he saves you. The Heidelberg Catechism says this, the confession, it says, or the catechism question one, excuse me, it says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And so the answer is, 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 is quite long, but I broke it down into four different sections. And this is so beautiful. What is your only comfort in life and death? Number one, that I am not my own, but belong 
body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a great comfort. Number two, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Amen. That's another great comfort. Number three, he also watches over me in such a way that is not that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. And then the fourth thing, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That is our greatest comfort, that we belong to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and from that we have all these wonderful blessings. So as you think about what's going on in your life right now, think about how you are being, your limitations are being tested. Think about how life is changing for you physically, mentally. Think about how everything is going, and, and if it's the good times, the, the tough times, or the ugly times. Think about all of that and, and how it has pressed you beyond what you can bear. It has challenged you beyond what you can hold. But if you're careful to look at your life and look at your limitations, you'll see the same God that empowered you when you, when you thought you had everything together. He is the one who is still empowering you now. He has not left your side. He is, he is working in you. And that's the promise that you have as his people. He will never leave you nor will he forsake you. We are more than conquerors, not because we have everything within ourselves, but because Christ has conquered all. It is by the power of Christ that we live, we move, and we have our being. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together.